0: You know, it, it's special to be here and as I look around the room I recognize people <laughs> and um, there, are, there are special people in my life. And uh, seeing Auntie Jan today, ah. oh. Oh. <laughs> Auntie Jan and Uncle Jim, 40 years ago yesterday they sent me out and they've been part of my ministry for more than 40 years in India. And then in Papua New Guinea now in South Africa. Wow. What a blessing to see you. Well,
1: 40 years, that's what uh, we thank
0: you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, and um, they've been a part of my life since I first remember you guys in 1966 yeah. when we came on furlough from Papua New Guinea, and you were teaching me how to wear shoes. <laughs> and that, every once in a while i kick kick them off. So, thanks, it's, it's great. And I'm looking forward, to, we are here for four weeks at... Connecting with some of you personally, good to see you. Yeah,
2: everybody. Yeah,
0: some of you are very special. And seeing Ma Irwin um, join me when we were engaged, we're in Pakistan at Abbottabad, at the hospital with the Irwins, and uh, yeah, it's it's special. Good. Let's go.
2: So here's a map of Africa. Right down at the bottom there you can see now there we're looking more African. Last night for those of you who saw us on the line or who were there uh, we looked a little bit more African but we thought we're giving some other uh, visual (laughs) pictures of some of the places that we are actually involved and linked with. A very colorful place um, down there at the bottom in a place called Durban.
0: Durban is a city of four million people. It's on the Indian Ocean. Uh, climatically, is warmer than here. Most of the year, we do have seasons. Um, Durban is a city of many, many Indians. Um, first is the Zulu people, and then Indians have been there for 170 years. They came to cut sugarcane, and we work a lot with the Indian church in Durban, South Africa, mainly.
2: And we'll be talking more about that OM Globally, as it says down here, we our vision is to see vibrant communities of Jesus followers among the least reached. We realized, I think we kind of detoured from a bit, but we've come back to the point of there is a final harvest unless we aim there, unless we kind of focus our our target there, we're spinning our wheels a bit. So um, yeah, and it's just been amazing how this final harvest is actually. I think invading America a bit um, because of the desperation, and it's coming your way. So, uh, some of those people from the least reached areas are coming among us. So, but we are in South Africa and we're mobilizing the church there. Many of them don't have a missionary. 50,000 churches, maybe 5,000 out of those, will have any link. Outside, they they do mission work, but they've always seen themselves as the mission field, and now we come along and say, you know what, you can be sending. So we end up talking with pastors, saying, so how do you do a commissioning service? What does that mean? And walking with young people that are coming from their place. So there we are in Durban, and uh, we got in touch with now. Durban is a very high class, first level city. But right next to that, big highways and malls and uh, fancy places. I mean, you'd think you were in the U.S. in some of those places. I had culture shock majorly because of all the affluence going from Papua New Guinea to there. But just around the corner, just down the little valley in the ghetto, are the townships, the settlements, where sometimes people from Africa come down. And it was into one of these places that... Nadine, who gave me this dress, and who we met, who came into our life, because Dave shared at a school, was it their school?
0: She was in her final year of school and I was sharing in, in the school that she went to, sharing about the nations and the world missions and what God was doing and the need for labors. And she came up after the school meeting and she said, I've got a calling of God in my life. I've been involved with my parents We're doing church planting down the road in a squatter camp. And so we go down there every Saturday afternoon, and we have a feeding program, and we're also doing evangelism and Sunday school, the wayside Sunday school there in the community. And we've started a church plant in this black township. And she said, I'm an Indian, but these are my people.
2: And... uh when we first went there um, because she was going to be commissioned to start mission training, and we called it the Tin Shack Church, I know that sounds, but it literally was a tin shack church. They had a container where they put all the chairs and musical instruments, and they would still, every Saturday come. And it was mostly kids, Zulu children and their mom, their parents, um, and they would come down, there were pavers, and then there was just this tin. It was open initially, and then it just had the roof. Now it's actually closed in, but it's just tin. Cooking hot with fans, but they don't want their money to go into the building. So these kids said, I, Auntie Nadine, we're doing this thing called the commissioning. And she's going to be going to train so she can tell other children, like she's told us. What can we do? So they did cards, and they were all up there, and we were there. And then there was something else I said, pastor, which was, was, was her dad. What? There's the pastor and he's wearing, he's wearing one of those South African um, outfits. I said, what is, what are these boxes? They look right there. I said, what is that box doing there? He goes, oh, he says, you won't believe it. These kids got together and they decided that they were going to challenge themselves to raise five rand. For them, it's like five dollars, but it's only 40 cents equivalent. But for them it's huge. They're not going to have their little pack of chips or they're not going to even they're going to go without something or they're going to go talk to an auntie or an uncle and they decided they were going to challenge as many on that Sunday there was many of them to bring 5 rand and put it in their little offering bank. I was talking to some US children in a kids just recently in a kids service and I said how many of you have piggy banks? they all raised their hands. And they were little kids. So you know what a piggy bank is, you know? You save and you... Yes, they all knew what a piggy bank was. I'm going to tell you about some children who never had a piggy bank in their life because they hardly had enough money for food. Well, these kids, their first piggy bank was that little box at the church. And they, what we didn't realize, that was 2015. Nadine did the training. She took trip to India. She says, no, 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 that's not really where I'm called. Then she did Bible college and she walked the road with us. We were in touch with this little tin shack church. And do you know from 2015 until just before we came on furlough, we had a commissioning service where we were sending Nadine for her second term of service to Kyrgyzstan. This is Nadine's dress. One of them that she gave, she brought, was given to her from the people in Kyrgyzstan. Uh, Muslim country she is there with another girl from Durban and those children when we we had her commissioning service there now they have their own little it's an OM fuel tank (laughs) the little one there this is Nadine it's blurred for a purpose but uh, so she there right there is the little Tin Shack Church's children's five rand challenge and all the money that they raise, and it's going all to missions.
0: October and they, yeah. 2018. i got to go out. So yeah, just, okay. 2018, they commissioned her, and they laid hands on her and says she's the first missionary we're sending. And many times it's not the seating capacity that God looks at. It's also the you sending capacity, off. the small church, but they have a vision. So they were sending Nadine out, and she took off from Durban, in, in October, and it was warming up because we have southern hemisphere summer. It was warming up, but she flies into Central Asia and there's a snowstorm. She'd never seen snow in her life. There's a snowstorm, the plane can't land, it goes to alma Next day flies over and she says, it's minus. Dave, that's very cold. It means it's like in a, in a freezer. freezer. And he said, I've never grown up in a freezer box before. She says I get to Central Asia. The language is different. They don't eat curry every day. The sunshine comes every once in a while. The pollution in the city. But she says I learn began to learn the language, the Kyrgyz language, which is a Turkic related language. Began to learn the language, build relationships, plugged into ministry and served the Lord for 2 years. My wife will take over as I go to congregation
2: so this is what we do. We take people like Nadine and we work alongside, whether it's a tin shack church, they also have very big churches. We've seen the biggest growth, I think, of sending from the Indian community. As we look back, it's, we look back and we realize Dave's first calling was to India. So he has a real inroad with these Indians because they say, hey, you are more Charo than us. Charo is kind of like a... Uh, a term that they banter around, you know, we're Charo, you know, and that means we're Indian background. Um, So we have lots of opportunities. Um, If you take it, when we came into COVID years, and and for 2020, I was challenged by my daughter-in-law about asking God for one word for a year. I don't know if any of you do that, but it has been, God has used that word from my daughter-in-law Um, from the book, My One Word, and COVID was focus. Focus on God, focus on what's important. Um, Beware of all the busy sidetracks. But we came to 2021 and it was flourish. God gave me, and I said, Lord, that's kind of a straight, and all the, they're always in, they're always linked with scripture. And that was good. Bearing fruit in your old age, you know, being fruitful and um, full of sap, yeah, well, full of um, multiplication And I thought, how are we going to see people go out in 2021? We've just come through 2020. Churches were closed. Um, We work in our home, by the way, every given day. We're in our home. Our office is in our home. The revolving door is in our home. And even during COVID, we we had an... Durban Indian for the first part of COVID. Then God brought a girl from Kenya, locked out of Bible college because of COVID. She was there with us. Then we brought another girl from Hong Kong. So during the whole seasons, God gave us a specific person to work alongside. But if you take a look here on the, there's a a family on the far, your far uh, left, and then in the middle, and then up the top. God brought three families into full time mission with OM during um, 2021, the flourish year. Um, this family is heading to Albania. The one in the middle is our new national director. Um, there with us in the middle with the three girls. And then up top is another family that were in Sweden, came back, and they're going back, and they worked among refugees in Sweden. Um, these four have gone to the ship. You'll see a couple of them. This is where you see the whole diversity. Um, Indian, Indian, she's what they call a colored. uh, It's what they call themselves. It's been mixed race for many years. And then a Zulu. National director with his family um, is actually uh, colored. Then over here is, they're English South Africans and they've adopted a little Saswati, it's a teeny boy. And um, so all these different nationalities that we have the privilege of working with and seeing God move. Um, Up the top is another Indian Zulu. And this big group, every um, twice a year, we are involved in doing training with pastors, church leaders, as well as those who are training to go overseas. So anyone who goes with OM, they have to have a church, number one. And guys... I I think there's been a huge attack on the church with COVID. Um, But it is, it's been amazing to see what's been happening coming back in. Um, Some have left and aren't attending. Others have started joining who never were joining before. So we're involved in seeing, reaching the nations. As you'll see the display down there, the flags of the nations and then the South African flag. Um, It's an amazing place where we get to be involved in. Um, training. Now, in we're in South Africa. This is the least reached area of Africa that we are fo- have been focusing on for South Africa. It's called the Sahil, from Senegal and Mauritania all the way through to Eritrea. We'll see at the end. And these we are really praying that the church would, that especially the African church, would rise up because we need the Africans to be some of the final harvest, to go into this area. We actually are far culture missionaries, we need near culture missionaries who look a bit like them and still cross-cultural. And so in linked with this, when we do our training twice a year, we do something very special. Um, we do a very special prayer session for Eritrea. Um, And we actually are arrested, our whole team, Dave's the first one, he's supposed to be the UN guy. It's simulation training. And Africans do this very well. Anyway, we are put into a cargo container where we pray for Eritrea and Christians who are put into cargo containers. It's very strange because Eritrea, The president, a forky, comes from a Protestant Christian background. He even says, no, 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 I'm Christian, but he's Marxist-Atheist. So I'm not sure how you're Marxist-Atheist-Christian at the same time. Christian because he says, oh, of our 4.8 million, we accept we have 50% Muslim, but we have almost that 47% Christian. So... Why is there a challenge so much where Christians are being thrown into cargo containers? And we have this prayer session specifically for them. Well, this is what is accepted. If you are not part of the Eritrean Orthodox Church or part of the Roman Catholic Church or Evangelical Lutheran Church, you are considered what they call a penta. You have no freedom of speech you have to be very careful all of you in here this meeting if this was happening in Eritrea every single one of us would be arrested they actually love to arrest people at Christian weddings they wait they have spies they wait till there's they hear about a Christian wedding they will arrest the bride and the groom and their attire and everyone else so they're very careful they want small weddings or they do it very carefully because evangelism and mission work is illegal. It's banned. You either belong to one of those churches that, okay, government, we'll do whatever you say. We won't say anything against the fact that we don't have freedoms. So they call this Penta for Pentecostal. Basically, all of us would be Penta. If you love Jesus and you come freely to a church service, you are penta and you will be arrested no court charge nothing Um, and a lot of these prisoners are held in these containers now that looks like a very nice clean container like we would normally see it's a cheap prison cell in eritrea looks more like that put out in the desert sweltering during the day they're allowed to get out to relieve themselves once and then um, back in the container for A night of cold and freezing. They're packed in there. What happens in Eritrea is when you are in 11th grade, you graduate. For your 12th grade, you are taken away from your parents, and you are taken, men and women, boys and girls, are taken to an army camp. In this army camp, you are taught to shoot an AK-47. You are taught, taught to march and shoot alongside science and math. If you do well, you get to go on to further education, high standard of education, but that education, your degree, your diploma is owned by the government. So um, you get to go into these different um, schooling, otherwise you stay a a soldier, and then a soldier means you don't have any say. Oh, your family of four you get two loaves of bread this week here's your barrel of water they don't have running water in the homes you just get this much for the whole week and they have trucks that come and fill everything everything is regulated don't talk about socialism near an Eritrean unless you really want to get the full story well Philman we are praying in our container and Philman we didn't know him at that time Uh, had been arrested four times. When he was in grade 12, he and his future wife, Sharon, were there at the same time. And Sharon told me, when we met her, she says, you know, I wasn't a believer. Most of them come to faith during that 11 to 12 grade year when they are in the military. First thing they do, roll call, line you up. All these new grade 12s have arrived at the prison base, and they say, all the penta stand up. And Sharon thought, oh, there's no way pencils are going to stand up. They know that they will be beaten. They will be thrown immediately. They're in military. Well, sure enough, she watched as these different women stood. She was so shocked. And then she watched those women. And she says, you don't want to know how many of us, she says, I came to faith then, watching them. They were mistreated, ill-treated. They never, they were, were gracious. They were kind. And she says, I went to one of them. And she says, okay, you got to tell me the secret. What is it that you face all of this? And they said, it's Jesus. And it's this book. It gives us ho- reasons how to live, how to, how to survive. She says, give me the book. They said, no, you won't be able to stand up. This is, this, if we give you this, we're giving you also everything we have. Finally, she begged and begged. Finally, they gave it to her. She says, I read the New Testament. She says, my fate was sealed. I was Penta. Three days later, she then, they said, they called all the Penta. So now here she was. She was taking her first stand. They prated them out to the desert, laid them face up in the sun all day, and then chained them all night to the ground there. Had no idea what was going to happen. And Sharon, within three days, and she says, God was with me. She says, never, ever, ever feel pity for us or sorry. She says, when you get to know Jesus (coughs) the way we know Jesus, there is no way you will feel sorry. Jesus is with us tangibly. Anyway, so Philman, he was arrested four times, and we were praying in the container, and they would say, how did he get out? Well, some of them never get out. Some of them have been there since they started all these arrests without trial. And he said, they say, never deny your faith. Never deny that Jesus is Lord. Because you have, although you will, they didn't say, we don't think you'll lose your faith, but you will live with your conscience. But if they say, sign this that you will never meet with other Christians, sign it. Because they don't You don't meet with them. They meet with you. (laughs) So this is what they, and that's how he got out. One time he says, different times. And he said, the prison cells, you thought the container was bad? He said, they just got worse and worse. We just recently read his manuscript of his book called Uncontained. (laughs) And, um, which is still in the process, just before we came. So these things are so fresh in our mind. But, um, yeah, so mention what... uh, Filament about his coming out what, and his wife.
0: First thing, I just went into the congregation, and I'm wearing this Eritrean outfit, okay? And I go in someone. there, and there's an African lady on the side wearing her African turban. She sees me, and her kids stop me, and they said, are you from Ethiopia or Eritrea? <laughs> I it. said, I'm representing Eritrea. She said, that's my country. Oh my I'm goodness. from Asmara, oh my. in your church. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So I'm looking forward to meeting her later on, after I meet with all of you. But um, yeah, Philemon was in prison multiple times. And what was the question?
2: No, just tell about how he came. Oh,
0: he had been, been, well, first Sharon. First okay. Sharon. There had been a peace accord signed between Afriki and the president of Ethiopia. And um, it was a, a peace Pende. accord. days. For 10 days. 10 days. And so at that time, he sensed, this is the time that I can get out of the country. He'd been working on uh, doing a presentation of a paper in South Africa in the universities, three universities. So he was coming out under that guise. He got across the border into Ethiopia. And maybe
2: you should mention that his his wife, just let me say his wife, who's a qualified doctor, she got out first on a maternity leave first of all her husband and they said we are not having any children because we are believers and look at what we're bringing our children into there's no way but that child that they ended up having ended up saving their lives Um, this child Daniel she had just been born and she usually you can't get out of the country unless you have a birth certificate that marks you're either Catholic Lutheran and then you're stamped on that for life they said we don't even want that on our our kids passport how we're going to get out, miraculously, she ends up getting out um, of the country for maternity leave, which is six months, so they're not going to miss her for six months. And so she's already in South Africa with her sister, who is Orthodox. So her sister says, We will, your family, we will help you. But don't you ever say anything about your garbage, Because if you do, you're out of our home and she wouldn't even trust her kids with her sister. This is how strong the situation is. And then her husband is still back there, finding a way, how can he get out? Because if you're caught leaving or have left, you will actually be given either death sentence or thrown back into
0: the prison. He's able to enter into Ethiopia, gets up to Addis Ababa, ready to board his flight to freedom in South Africa to join his wife and son and he gets arrested by the Ethiopian authorities and said you're a spy you're here illegally and all the rest of it and he gets locked up and he's crying out to God Lord would you raise up somebody somewhere in the world that would be praying for me interceding on my behalf to you Lord Jesus would you do that set me free so that I can go and be with my family again interesting we didn't meet him until months later, but that exact time.
2: The third day, he was in prison.
0: Exact time. We were in a simulation in our training, and we, we pray for Eritrea. We pray for believers that are in prison, that they would be strong in the faith in the dark hours. And I get thrown in the prison first, in the, in the cargo container, and it begins to get hot to 60. 70 people cram into a cargo container and the doors are locked. And you're praying as if you were in prison yourself. And you're praying for believers that are in difficult times that God would strengthen them in these dark hours.
2: It's actually Hebrews 13, three. So when we pull them out, that's a scripture we read. And you said, you probably never have actually been obedient to this verse, but now you have. Pray for them as if, we call it the as if training as if you are in prison with them, as if you are mistreated. So
0: we're praying. We're not praying by name for filament, but we're praying God, would you encourage, would you set the captives free? And um, we didn't find that out until till months later at that very time. The Ethiopian authorities came up and said, you're free. We've rebooked your flight. You're flying into Durban, South Africa in the next few hours. Bye-bye. And he said, I was reunited with my wife and I I gave the papers at the university. I presented my papers, but I decided I was not going back to Ethiopia or Eritrea. I was staying in the free world where I had to share with the church about the persecuted church. That was God's calling in my life after my years of being in prison.
2: Yeah, when they prayed over him, the church leaders, he also helped those in prison. They would manage to get food because they're not fed well in prison. And uh, they actually, one of the men, prayed over him and said, you are going to be our voice in the free world for the persecuted in Eritrea. And he knew he had to write the book. And anyway, while they are there, um, and we ended up that same group that was in the container praying comes down to Durban, and they're on their world faith outreach. So what we do is they get divided into teams, they stay with Indian Christians, so they get curry for breakfast, curry for lunch, curry for dinner. They feel what it's like in a Christian context to be cross-cultural, really. And then they actually go to door to door to the, they have a mosque visit, they have a temple visit, they meet Hindus, they meet Muslims, they have conversations with them. Af- South Africa is an amazing place. Well, even like America for training because you can actually do this very freely. You don't have the same context. So they came. Uh, We were also, we do a pastor's uh, partnership presentation. So that whole team, we did Christmas around the world. It was December that year. Remember, he had gotten out of the prison he had come across in October. And so a friend from that church, where we're doing this whole presentation, meets him on the beach with the dog. Little Daniel liked the dog. They started talking. And... They had struggled a bit. They said, God, where is the church of South Africa?
0: Yeah, and so Philemon meets my friend Leon with his dog, and Leon says, come tomorrow Sunday afternoon. I'll pick you up. Where do you want me to pick you up? I'll pick you up with your wife, Sharon, and your son, Daniel, and I will bring you to this gathering, and you can meet other people. And so, but wear your international clothes. Wear your clothes from Ethiopia or Eritrea. So he was wearing this one. As he came across the parking lot, I could see that he was a Kushite from the Horn of Africa. And we met Philemon for the first time, even though we had prayed for him unknowingly. And we met him and Sharon, and they began to share, and they said, we've met, we've prayed for your country, we've prayed for Eritrea. And he said, you've prayed for me. And he said, we were locked up in a cargo container. We were praying for Eritrea. How do you know about cargo containers? He said, that's our prison. He said, I've spent One a of lot them. of time in cargo containers for the name of Jesus. And they became part of our family. They had Christmas with us a number of times. They had never eaten turkey in their life. We had Christmas at turkey, that turkey, that Christmas. Christmas turkey, yes. And, um, and it was very special, them sharing about their experiences. And we introduced them to many churches and would take them and they would share. And they said, please never feel pity for us because of us being locked up or being tortured or beaten and, and not being fed well for the sake of Jesus. Don't pity us, but pray, pray for, us. for others that are in similar situations that they would be strong in Jesus.
2: So Philemon and Sharon, as we got to know them, they are they're in South Africa. They end up pretty soon with their money had finished. They had they went, they were given temporary. They asked for full asylum. But in South Africa, they said, You're telling lies. There's no persecution in Eritrea. There's churches in Eritrea. And the second thing is we had to try to write an affidavit for them. They said You are educated. You are a qualified medical doctor. Show us your papers. Well, she did have a few support documents. But they said, and you are a lecturer at the university? You presented documents here? Nah. Only poor people are refugees and asylum seekers. So they only gave them temporary status, which means they could get no work. But they were sensing God was also leading them into more of a full-time Work. She worked alongside a, a a church clinic because a doctor was over her. She could do that. But right now she's studying to try through U.S. U.S. has said she could she could study, get her paperwork so that she could actually get her papers. There's no way she can get them from Eritrea, and um, right now they're countryless, paperless, and um, but. The voice and that he was with us one christmas he says i don't know how long we're going to be with you it was a month going on he says who's going to rent to us i have no work i have no job i can't get work but voice of the martyrs came across their path and said we'll help you rent a place but that's all but they have been sharing in the churches he's been writing his book and um, they came to our next training session well, actually, there were a few times they were supposed to come, but COVID, they couldn't. So that training session where we actually have mission in residence, we actually have that cargo container simulation, just before we came, this time, it was Philman in the cargo container. Usually, we got him on a, on a voicey explaining, saying thank you, that this was the group that prayed him out of Eritrea. And this time he was in there with us and explain what happened when he, he actually was crying. That's yeah. Later.
0: When we got um, arrested and I got dragged in, beat up by the guards a bit and thrown into the back of the container. He was a good handcuffed. actor. Handcuffed. Yeah, I was an actor. Um, and then we were starting our prayer time. Philemon came in and he was weeping. And I looked at Philemon and I says, are you okay? why are you weeping? He says, because it brought back memories of what I had been through when I'd seen my pastors and my church leaders, uh, he says, they didn't beat you very hard. <laughs> he says, our beatings were real, but he said it brought back, it triggered memories. I said, are you okay to share? And he said, yeah, yeah. This is nothing, but this is it, it just triggered memories. So he was sharing in the, in the cargo container. It was interesting, afterwards, the guy sitting beside, standing beside him wearing a Chinese outfit for a Chinese program, He's also an Eritrean. He's a new believer, only in the faith five years. He's from a Muslim background. His father is the ambassador for Eritrean government in South Africa. And he met Jesus as at early twenties in South Africa. And um, he was sent by the Eritrean government up to Azerbaijan in Central Asia. Grew in the faith in the Lord and then came back to South Africa. And he built up courage after four years being a believer to share with his father, who's the ambassador, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, all hell broke loose. He said, my father threatened me. He said, get out of my presence. I'd never want to see your face again. You've brought dishonor to my name. You've brought dishonor to the government of Eritrea. Never, and I never want you to have contact with your brothers and sisters or your mother again. Get out. So he was thrown out. And he was meeting Philemon, another Eritrean believer who also had been persecuted for the faith. So they're in contact with each other.
2: The other thing is, is that actually he had been whenever his dad would go overseas, he would meet with his sisters. Two of his sisters have come to faith. The last one, just in March, just before this picture was taken, some of our, our, our guys met together. He a- invited them and says, please come and meet with my sister and myself. And they had a real urge to just give a really clear gospel presentation. And right there in the restaurant where they met, just in March, his sister... The second one said, we've been watching our brother and my other sister gave her life to Jesus. Now there's two secret believing sisters. Now to tie this all up, we're getting ready to come on furlough. And we have to go get our COVID test, right? So we go in to get our our COVID test to the OM doctor there. Uh, No, not the OM test, sorry. We went to get checked up and everything for the first time. And... um, that was before the COVID test. Say what, tell what happened. Her, Dr. Her...
0: Karen is a South African. She German background. She's from Namibia, which is the neighboring nation, but of German descent. So she speaks three languages. And... So I see on her desk, I says, Dr. Karen, what is this uh, Trans World Radio uh, brochure? He says, oh, my husband works with Trans World Radio. And I said, oh, great. I said, I'd love to meet him. I, and I told him about Philemon listening secretly in prison to Trans World Radio and how it was such an encouragement to his faith. Oh, let me call my husband. So she goes out the door, their office is in their house, and he says, "Um, Rudolf, come on down, somebody wants to meet you. So Rudolf, he's a German South African, he comes down and we start talking. And he said, you know, Dave, thank you for sharing this story about Philemon. Because, he says, we're dealing with radio, but we don't hear a lot of news out of the Horn of Africa. What's happening in Ethiopia and Eritrea and Somaliland and Somalia and Djibouti? We don't hear much news, and so at times we feel despondent. But this has really encouraged my heart. And he said, by the way, the Eritrean ambassador lives around the corner from my house. He flies the Eritrean flag every day. He's got his own bodyguard, security guard there, and he says he is a Muslim." And I says, I know that. I met his son last week. And he he says, we got to zip it up. We can't say this publicly, you know. So no publishing. He says, I go for a walk every week with him. He said, I'm praying that he will meet Jesus. And I said, I know. His son is praying that he'll meet Jesus and his two daughters are praying that he'll meet Jesus. And I says, maybe you're the man that God is going to use to introduce him to Jesus. So I just thought, isn't it amazing how God orchestrates these divine appointments in our lives, wow.
2: And by the way, we had some more conversations because we tested positive with, without symptoms, so we said God gave us just a week before we started our furlough marathon, and uh, we ended up connecting again with Rudolph and with his wife, and, and they just talked. We connected Philman with him directly. And he says, you know, when that time when you came, I was so discouraged. But he says, wow, he says, when you hear stories like this, he says, it makes it worth it. Of, of all the, he's, he's in charge of the OM South Africa Trans World Radio. No, yeah. Right. So if we look at Eritrea, the containers, Hundreds of believers still. So if you want a country to pray for, beyond yourself, for other believers, um, you can ask for this. 35 of those prisoners, they're thanking God for COVID because they don't like them to die in their midst. They'll kind of send them out just before they um, die so they can't be accused of that. But uh, they were released September 2020. Some had been held 2 to 16 years. There was a 14-year-old girl among them was arrested during a prayer meeting just rounded up like all of us would be if we were found out we were like this in Eritrea and um, she was she was one of those who who was released Um, Philemon and Sharon uh, they are in Cape Town still every six months somehow they have to have money to go in and and report for their six-month visa he's working on the book we read the first draft We've only given you a fraction. The stories are horrific. Um, He's also a bit careful, and all their discussion, do we keep the real names or not? Because they actually are still in South Africa, visa or anything. The government could just say, go back to Eritrea. Um, Sharon's studying for her medical exams and has to figure out, you know, how they can get out and film on. Due to, you want to share about Philman's. Um,
0: due to years of being Here locked up. Here they are. Up.
2: They have another son, Samuel, who actually was named and said was going to happen before he left Eritrea. They said, you're going to get out and you're going to have another son, Samuel.
0: But Philemon's health has really been taking a, a, a knocking. His kidneys um, from time in prison, things like that. His teeth, his teeth are rotting and falling out. Nothing much you can do Sorry, about I'm it. Right it's a challenge.
2: So these are people that we're praying for. There, there's a card like this down on our, our shelves there. We call them our Eritrean refugees. Be careful what you pray. <laughs> be careful how you pray. Because often God makes you or involves you in the answer to your prayers. But this is how we can be involved in the ends of the earth. And even those of us who are in South Africa, we constantly look for opportunities to link. And these guys, uh, the the one isn't an air tree in there. He is one of our OMers who is now in, was on our ships and is in Canada um, where he's married. So to bring this around to just a biblical part and how it relates with us, John 4, 28 to 38. Um, Would somebody like to find that? And we'll read it. It's the woman at the well, the tail end of the story, if somebody can get that and we'll give you the Mike, to, to read it out, and we're going to take a look at some... Yes, thank you. That's good.
0: That woo
2: Where Jesus meets a woman at the well and, and then the disciples. Thank you. Can you read that loud and clear for us?
1: So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people... of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor.
2: So this story is a common one, but we want to tag on the end of this, especially where Jesus said, my food. And I think if we're following Jesus, this goes with us. Our food is to do the work that he's asked us to do and to finish it. And God has entrusted with us this beautiful good news. And so as we, Jesus said, my food is to do the one who sent. And then he gave some very specific ways to do it to his disciples. And those of us down the line um, who, yes, make mistakes, don't get everything right. Um, the first things we need to do, and this gives a list.
0: We need to wake up, simply. It means we've been slumbering or sleeping, and he says, wake up.
2: That one said, lift up your eyes, or open your eyes. We kind of link that with, first of all, we've got to be awake and not sleeping spiritually in the work that God's given us to do.
0: Look at the fields. It seems like, globally, there's no problem with the harvest. (laughs) People are responsive, people are ready The problem, it seems to be, is people, harvesters. And it ties in very much with Matthew 9, 36 to 38, when Jesus says, the harvest is great, it's plentiful, it's huge. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would raise up labors. And that's something that we can always do according to the will of God, is pray that He would raise up labors for His harvest.
2: And I think this goes in our context of where you're at here. I think a lot of people think, oh, that's the job of the missionary or that's the job of the pastor or that's the job of the elder or that's the job of a deacon. Uh, I'm not somebody who goes to to find somebody. But I think if we open our eyes, and I'm so thankful for this church because I really believe you have invited, you have opened your eyes. You are looking at the fields, and we just want to encourage you Continue to do that and find your way. The next thing is sow into the fields. It's like that tin shack church. It's like those kids doing the five rand challenge. What's your five rand challenge? What is something that is a bit bigger for you? Unless God shows up, you can't do it. It might just be walking across into those places. Finding your refugee. They're coming, and that means you'll be fulfilling the ends of the earth commission and you're here and you can do it and it's free you, you can talk about this amazingly enough at least we don't know for how long so that would be giving actually um, and praying with us we only prayed we never had any idea we would be taking in Eritrean refugees into our home into our lives into our hearts um, Reap or send reapers to gather the harvest. Sowing and reaping is happening. It has to. We can't be out there unless we have people behind us praying with us. Uh, we're very ordinary human beings. We haven't even had seminary degrees. You know, I'm a primary school teacher, truck driver, mechanic. I don't care who you are. You've got a good news degree that needs to be worked out. And the last thing. Tell your God stories. Tell them often. And if you're doing all of this, what happened to us the other week at a petrol station might happen to you.
0: There's there's been a number of times I've said to God, not another nation, Lord. Not another people group. I don't want to hear about it. I'm full up. I'm overflowing already, Lord. I felt like. And then God brings Eritreans into our life. And your heart melts. When you meet them and you hear their story, Easter Sunday. Just been to Easter service in Pennsylvania, and we're driving across from Pennsylvania across the Delaware River, through New Jersey to New York with our son Sean, and we'll give you a bit of an update on him now. Now, and we're ready. We're getting low on fuel, and we pull in at the last service station in Philadelphia, right near the river, near a place called Washington's Crossing.
2: We thought it'd be cheaper in Pennsylvania because you have to do it. If you go to New Jersey, someone else does it for you, and they thought, oh, that definitely would be more expensive. But it wasn't. It wasn't.
0: we get there, (laughs) and we're just ready to pull up, and I drive to the wrong side of the petrol pump, gas pump. So I drive to this side, and a car in front of us with a Florida number plate, this guy gets out, and he said, no, no, don't. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Don't. (laughs) Stop. Don't. 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 Pump fuel here, and I said, "Okay, what's wrong?" He says, "Can you help me? Can you help me?" It was a bit like a Macedonian call. Can you come over and help me? And we said, "Yeah, what's wrong?" He said, "I've run out of." He used the word gas. I knew what he meant. (laughs) So I said, "Uh, "Yeah, no problem." Where? And he said, "I've already Googled it. We can get it across the river." And um, and I thought. My car is full. I can't take him. I said, is it possible? I looked in his car. His wife was sitting in the front seat. I said, is it possible that my wife sit in the, in the car with your wife and they can talk? Ha, <laughs> thank you, Lord. And um, he said, yeah, no problem. And I said, you jump in our car. So Sean jumped in the back. He jumped in the front
2: and by the way, where and are by you the from? Way,
0: where are you from? Has <laughs> strong accent. Because I knew he wasn't a local like the rest of you because of how he looked and because of the way he sounded. And maybe because I'm a foreigner I can get away with it, but I'm sure you can too. But he said, I'm from Uzbekistan. This is uh,
2: neighboring to this country. I got Kurdistan. excited.
0: I says, Uzbekistan. Wow, great. No problem. <laughs> We've so prayed says, for you your sp- nation. You speak Russian, Uzbeki, English, he says. I've lived in America 20 years now. I live in a place called Steamboat Springs, Colorado. So I says, great, jump in. My wife jumped in his car with his wife, and we drove across Washington's bridge. I, I don't understand why Washington paddled across the river, why he didn't come on the bridge. It's that old.
2: It was quite narrow. You it's very to-
0: narrow. You've got to fold your mirrors in and keep your doors closed. But uh, we went across there, and we got gas, petrol, same thing, and we brought it back. What happened?
2: Well, I did have a bit of time there, so I got in, introduced myself, and, and uh, she had a strong accent, but good English, and she says, you know, in Russian times, we were told, you work hard, you'll get money, and you'll have life. And she says, you know, we have come to America, this great land of opportunity. We have worked, we have gotten money, but we don't have life. Can you imagine a statement like that? Wow, and then she went on to say, "I have a 25-year-old, I have a 19-year-old, I have a 10-year-old. We want them to grow up with lots of everything that America can offer, and we're stuck in Steamboat where all these people come up to sti- ski, and they can only do waitering. And she says it's not a good, good atmosphere. We've heard that there's, you know, people are good down here in Pennsylvania, and there's there's a bit of a Central Asian community, I think, where they can get that type of food." And she says, but we are just tired, and we have worked so hard. And she just continued to pour out. She was, and she says, we were looking for a place. We want to find the right place. I mentioned my sister lives here. She asked me a bit about it. And she says, but we are just kind of like at the end. And I said, you know, look out the window. Do you see all those trees in bloom and the new life coming in? I said, there's a creator. And this creator, of course, Muslims believe in a creator. They have a a reverence for God. And I said, when I'm in a situation like you, because you know what? No matter how hard you work, no matter how much money you get, you're not going to find life. But I said, our creator knows what we're created for. He knows what will help us, give us life. And I said, what I do when I'm in a struggle like this, I call out to the God of the universe who created you and me. And I said, can I pray with you? Can I call out to you? She put my hand on her head and she grabbed like it was on a lifeline. And she said, please. So I prayed that she would meet the one who said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life and that she would know that she could be safe in that hand. She'd find life. When I, actually Dave came back, they pulled in, so I had to quit because she was continuing to offload, so I quickly kind of redirected the conversation to prayer. Dave kind of opened the door, then quickly closed it um, because we were finishing off. And as I said amen, I opened my eyes, just tears going down her face. And you know what she said? She says, you know what? this is a God appointment. I mean, this is a Muslim telling. I'm like, you are right. And it's the middle of Ramadan. They were fasting and everything is, you know, exponentially, they will be looking and they will be. And I said, let me leave you with this book, John Blackenberg's Ultimate Questions. We all have questions like this. I've had them. And here's a New Testament, the Injil. I said, it talks of the stories of Jesus. Read this. You want life? He's the one who said, through him you'll have life. She just, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. You know, like the woman at the well, you tell your stories, and often it's not getting someone to kneel and commit at that point. But being a link in many chains, and you know, only once in our life, after we've had a conversation, heard needs, and... (coughs) Asked, would you mind if we pray for you? We pray into the needs, and you can give the gospel message in a prayer in a genuine way. We've only had one, ever, one person ever refuse us, and that was a Jewish lady, Kim. We never forgot her name. I've <laughs> got all this. Anyway, so these are, these are the God story moments
0: so, then that what we can happened? share. Joy finished praying for her. I was, we were refilling his car with, with a gallon of fuel, and then I says, Um, We need to take the jerry can back across the river, uh, return it so you can get more fuel. So we followed them across the river. Joy was sitting in the car with them longer. We got there, refueled the vehicle. They got out of their car to say thank you. And we gathered in a circle, and we prayed God's blessing on them. And we prayed Scripture. We prayed, Lord Jesus, this is not a coincidence that they're out of fuel. This is a divine appointment. Lord Jesus, would you speak into their lives? Help them. Would you the use us from another nation who have met them? And I, I said, I told him very straight. I said, I prayed for your nation. I prayed for your people. I prayed that they would meet Jesus, the Prince of Peace. They know Jesus is the prophet, but they don't know him as Jesus' love. And so we'll never see them again. But we're part of the process of maybe bringing them to Jesus and pray, Lord, would you use other people on their journey that would point them to the living God?
2: So, blazed in my mind, I think forever after was as we pulled up, I just remember this man sitting there, a foreigner saying, would you help me? Would you please help me? And... I I think, although that may not be happening around us, I think it's happening every day. Would you help me? An 84-year-old lady, Grace Fabian, who's translated the Bible in Papua New Guinea. Last week we were with her. She says, you know, she's speaking and sharing still, sharing about her life story. Her husband was tragically murdered by the very tribe that she translated the scriptures for. She shares her story but she sees the Afghans hanging on planes to get out. Would you help me? Would you please help me? U.S. didn't do too good of a job there, but she says, God, what can I do? I'm 84 years old. She got on and she says, God, she says, I wept in front of the television. And then God gave her an idea. Your renters downstairs in your basement are finishing their rental you have space so she went there's a christian group i can't know what they call it about helping resettle people in they help you they give you all kinds of ideas she went to them and says can you use an 84 year old's basement that's all done up they said are you kidding they said that is the most on demand right now we need Places, And this other group is getting Christian places that these people can move in. And she was so excited. I can do something. And they said, now you need to pray for our drivers. And we need to pray that we can get people who will teach English. And it's a huge thing. And she is opening her basement for an Afghan family that is now at some base in America Struggling, and she's praying that she can be like this. So, wherever you are, it's not just for missionaries. If you are a penta, our challenges will be different. But, my goodness, let's open our eyes. Let's look at the fields, whether it be at a petrol station or whether we have space. Sowing and reaping, because you guys sow into our life, we can do what God's asked us to do there. Reaping, prayer but telling God's stories. Our family, family update.
0: <laughs> we on the site, uh, there was a wedding a few weeks ago before we left Durban. Muslim wedding. Our neighbors are Muslim from India, been there for four generations, and so we went to their wedding. They have seven days of wedding, so every day is a different event.
2: We just went to one day, thank yeah, goodness. Yeah. And
0: uh, I loved it, great opportunity. Surrounded by 400 Muslims, great to reflect Jesus in that situation, dressed in Indian clothes. Sean, in the middle, uh, he's our oldest, he's 32. Four years ago, he got married here in West Virginia. Three years ago, so it was last year, he called us up and said, Mom and Dad, are you seated? I said, okay, we can have a seat. Dad, put your phone on speakerphone, I want to talk to both of you. So we're in the kitchen on a Saturday afternoon, and I thought, well, he's going to announce that him and his wife are expecting their first child. Uh-uh. He said, Dad, Sarah and I are separated. So I said, what do you mean by that statement? He said, Dad, I'm living somewhere else. Sarah has walked away from the marriage and walked away from God. the Lord." And he said, I'm devastated. So later on in the year, December last year, he signed the divorce papers. And they've got to stand before a judge in New York in the coming whenever. So he said, I'm devastated. But in the, in the process of living in New York, he's found Brooklyn Tabernacle and plugging into church there with Jim Cimbala. And he said, I love the international flavor. I love the teaching. But he says, the church is just too big. There's thousands of people there. So I go to a small, uh, I think you call them community group or cell group, life group, midweek. So he's a drone pilot flying um, aerial mapping. Um, And so he's doing that for his occupation.
2: He did say, too, that through this whole thing, he says, though I lost the love of my life, I've returned to my first love. And um, through a lot of challenges, and we've just come from meeting her parents which we told them you know we're in this together we'll pray through with our kids uh, Their pastors in rural Virginia a church amazing we shared in the church uh, we're very loved they were very gracious and um yeah so now we continue to pray for Sarah who um has yeah really gone a different direction yep. but uh and, and all this, we've, Sean's given us permission to share. I think we have to realize that missionaries are real people. And we have these challenges. We know many out there who have prodigal children. And, boy, we identify with you. And um, we just, but Sean is doing well spiritually. He even says, Mom and Dad, I'm stronger because now it's, it's just God. I, I can't fix anything. My wife, I can't do anything. Only God can. So. Get-
0: Married Natasha a few years back, they live in Australia, Um, two days drive north of Brisbane up in hot tropical um, Townsville, Uh, he's an engineer, and got two kids, two grandkids, Eliora is three years old, and Eric is a year and a half old, Um, they're very involved
2: with their local church, he does engineering, Uh, the firm's growing a blessing, but they have a whole uh, they're exploding biologically. They have all these young couples with kids that are involved in the church and doing all kinds of things. So. And, and Trina is often there with them. She is the auntie, and her and Natasha are best friends. So the sisters they both never had.
0: Trina works on a, on a mine in the outback of Australia, so she flies in two weeks in on the mine site, and two weeks out, two weeks in. She likes the job, she likes the hours when she's off for two travel. weeks, but about um, uh, two and a half years ago she called us up and said, mom and dad, I love growing up as a missionary kid in New Guinea and South Africa, I love the travel, understanding other cultures and all the rest of it, but mom and dad, I'm on my own journey. Your faith is your faith, but it's not my faith anymore. Now That was a bit of a hard one, I think, to handle, to hear. Um, so we're just praying, Lord, draw her back to yourself. We talked mm-hmm. about the prodigals. We all and, have them. Uh. So pray for And the Trina. same is
2: with both, both Sarah and Trina. There's no antagonism or any e- even negativity. When she actually said when I asked her, on your journey, what's your anchor? She said, you're not going to like this. For right now, it's myself because she says, there's just so much stuff out there. I want to make my decisions, and you've taught me to be confident and go forward. Of course, we didn't teach her without God. But, you know. So anyway you can be praying for our family. We're in good connection with them on this, thank goodness, with pictures and WhatsApp. But this, this card is down at the table. And if any of you wanna, also some of our prayer letters, if any of you wanna sign up who don't get it, um, we would love to have prayers um, for this. And also, we just wanna thank God for you, for this church. And um, we will just really pray. We know that a lot of you are um, involved beyond yourself, in the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, which is actually local, the cross-cultural missionary next door, the refugee next door, and the ends of the earth through your prayer and giving. So thank you so much. Are there any questions? When does this finish?
0: It finishes at noon.
2: Okay. Are there any last questions? We are going to be around. We would love to have coffee, tea, time with you. You can grill us on any of those. Uh, There's so many stories. I mean, even since we've come here, but uh, any other questions? Any questions?
0: Could yeah? You, could you tell us a little bit about your financial support needs? Ah, uh, yeah, interesting. I, I would say every, every you've you got to keep topping up. <laughs> we are experiencing inflation also in South Africa, believe it or not. Our petrol is the most expensive it's ever ever been. Like here. And it <laughs> will keep going. <laughs> um, so there is Inflation—you got to keep up with. One of the advantages when we got rid of the kids—sounds funny, but we didn't have school for?
2: fees. We, we didn't have food as much of a no grocery bill. No university but anymore. We say that. Go, so my daughter called home one day. Mom and dad, are you are you rattling around in that that big house? I mean, we have how many bedrooms? And we're like, uh, no. if we get a free night, we're lucky. So because yes. our ministry is our home and our office, it's uh. <laughs> The door is continually revolving, whether it's a refugee or whether it's trainee kids that we have overnight, or if we have prayer nights and they can't go back to the township, it's unsafe, they need to overnight. So we rarely have, um, it's a constant full house, um, yeah. So I think uh, basically, and every year, you know, we understand. People can't continue, uh, we, we tell people, people die supporting us, that sounds terrible, but you know, they've been faithful for years. (laughs) I think they've got gold crowns there. (laughs) Um, But, you know, every, some people can't. And with COVID, we've just, yeah, some of the, from the little church, Sean's um, church up there, there was a, uh, the pastor's sons have a lawn business. And they had some card fraud by somebody they tried to, a guy on parole to help. And so they had to cancel and change everything. But yeah, so there's always we lose some. So it, it's, you know, if if we put it down to numbers, probably something around you know 800 to a thousand monthly. And like I said, at the end of every year, we can just say a surprise gift will come in. Or usually, if a bigger gift comes in, we go, okay, God, what's going to happen? <laughs> Almost we're like, oh. And um, our fleet of vehicles. Well, maybe you can mention that we have a fleet for a reason. A missionary is using one of them. and We're getting old. <laughs> but they're falling apart. We've had so many, yeah. <sighs> so that is going to have to be replenished. But yeah, something from 800 to 1,000 monthly. But at the end of every year, we have had enough and more than enough to share with anyone who comes in our door, which is regular. So we, and praise God. So thank you. Thank you for asking that and really appreciate that. I should mention Everyone laughed at us when this church, I don't know who, maybe it was you guys who said, hey, listen, you've got to have a project. What's your project?
0: That was 2011.
2: Yeah, it what's your project?
0: May 2011, we you met with this? the Missions Committee. You were on at that time, and we met downstairs. What's your project? We've got X amount to help with the project. And you know what this church invested in? I bought an iPad. You know and, what those and the kid yeah. said,
2: Dad, you need an iPad. That's what you need to have. I mean, I'm usually on the computer. He's a mechanic. He can't see what's working in there. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so we got that iPad from the church. And, oh, it was amazing. It just really helped. You know, Dave could help reading the emails on that. And it was just a, a more functional for him before the cell phone. But then um, when mom passed away,
0: that was four years ago. I got Mum's iPad.
2: That we bought her to keep in touch with us.
0: I passed on my iPad to the Eritreans. To Philemon. So he was able to Philman use Philemon wrote yeah.
2: his draft of his story uh, on the iPad from this church. One of our projects... Going. Our time's <laughs> Crazy. up. Crazy.
0: One of our projects is getting iPhones or iPads that are unlocked with charging cables... And cleared. ...that so we can take back to South Africa. Don't give me an iPhone 1 or 2, because that's they're out of date, but you know.
2: Well, the others that are floating around your house, even 6, 7 those, because in South Africa, we thought for our project, not one that's new, it can be used, just checked, um, we will be taking them back, because there, iPhone still has a very high standard, they have iPhone places, but many times they, they lose their iPhones, or some of our coworkers, or mission pastors, or... They lose them and they just can't afford. Uh, Just before we left.
0: We still have 3G.
2: Yeah. So anyway, so that that is our collection. So if you can bring any into the church for us, we will take them to Africa. So iPhones, Eye for Africa.